You're about to hear my conversation with Richard Wong. We talk all about value investing and why 2022 uh, is really the beginning of the cycle for value. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr, and I'm delighted to be back with Richard Wong. Richard is the lead portfolio manager and team lead of our Kundal Boutique, a well-known boutique that uh, invests in the value style. Richard, welcome back. Matthew, it's good to be here. Uh, I invite you back to really talk about value. Uh, And I've had you on the podcast a couple of times to talk about value. And I'd say that there was a lot of optimism when the vaccine came out in late 2020, that that was going to be the catalyst for value to really run. Didn't really happen in 2021. Now that we're about halfway through 2022, the same cannot be said. Value has clearly dominated uh, growth. Uh, throughout the first half of 2022. And I know that from a pre-conversation, you're quite optimistic about uh, value and, and, and it has room to run. So maybe I'll ask you, what's changed in the macro environment that allows for that optimism, Richard? Yeah, I remember those conversations, Matthew. And uh, definitely, we were very optimistic. We believe we are still correct that the the emergence of vaccines started the value cycle. and. I think the value cycle had a few chuckbacks, primarily due to Delta and Omicron, which uh, changed consumer behavior, obviously, but more importantly, flipped the market psychology back to, oh, we're back to stay at home. So, so what you had is uh, two years where a lot of these internet stocks, you can think about those, right? Peloton, Amazon, Netflix, and, and people extrapolate the trends in their businesses in 2020 and 2021 to the moon. And now we are seeing all these companies significantly miss earnings guidance, guide down their forecast. So we are really now going into a new paradigm, I believe. Uh, and, and the new paradigm, not just from the last few years, but from the last decade plus, really. In the last decade plus, you've had no inflation, zero to negative, negative rates in many countries. Uh, you've had abundant cheap labor outsourcing to China and other countries in Asia. Um, and, and what we've seen here now is that going forward in the next decade, whether you believe inflation is going to peak in the next few months and then it's going to come back down a little bit or not, I think the truth of the matter is that the next decade, inflation is going to be much higher than the last decade. And I'll talk a bit about the reasons why. And therefore, interest rates are going to be much higher than the last decade. And we are also coming into an era where there is a shortage of industrial metals in terms of supply and and crude energy because of a severe underinvestment over the last decade. So the last decade really set up this shortage. And this shortage is amplified by first the pandemic, you know, when countries wanted to get their PPE from exporting countries, they were not shipping them. So now people realize, oh my goodness, I need to secure my own supply of these important goods and, 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 and materials. And then the war uh, in Ukraine has amplified that, like politicians, 
Corporate leaders are all thinking we need to supply, su su uh, secure our supply. The most efficient way to get your supply is less important than the most secure way to get your supply. And that, that right. forms a, 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 a new trend of kind of regional sourcing, uh, double sourcing. You hear double sourcing a lot these days. And that forms the basis of higher inflation. On top of that, we are now going into uh, airtime with kind of shortage and limitation in labor supply as well. Uh, I, I, the numbers I've seen is after the pandemic, the U.S. labor force has shrunk by 8 million. And, and out of that, a big part of that is boomers who decided to retire. Like, you know, they stay in home right. for long enough, they just can't get back to work anymore. That's, that's a big number there. And then people who have uh, illnesses, uh, long COVID, other problems uh, that arise during the, the pandemic and the immigration limitations and restrictions during this pandemic. So that's not gonna go away anytime soon. So we have seen a shift in the profit pool from corporate profits to labor, labor cost. So that's also inflationary. So we think the baseline inflationary is uh, uh, situation is, is higher. And, and that, that shifts the balance in performance between growth and, and uh, value. Uh, first of all, value stocks tend to be uh, more exposed to benefit from commodities. I mean, commodity stocks are okay. generally yeah, cheap, uh, low price to cash flow. Um, you know, um, and uh, and the as as rates go up, the the multiple of growth stocks get squeezed due to the discounting mechanism. On top of that, a lot of the growth stocks have benefited in an outsized way uh, through the pandemic. Front loaded their earnings growth, demand growth, and now they're a lot of them are literally falling off a cliff. So if you look at this year, uh, um, and just look at you know third party data based on value indices versus growth indices. In every single quarter this year, um, value stocks as a group has higher earnings growth than growth stocks as a group. Every single right. quarter this year, so so it's a great time to be uh, thinking about and looking into investing in value. That's great, Richard. There's a lot to unpack from that answer, but let me see if I I just get the correlation uh, correct initially. Um, so there's a lot of inflationary pressures out there. You've referenced some of them: be the labor market, commodity cycles. Uh, this idea of onshoring and that interest or in that inflation is leading to higher interest as central bankers around the world look to fight that. Um, it, and if, if that's the, the primary motivation or the primary macro that, that has changed, I'm curious if, if, it's, uh, if it's more of a favor of value or more of a punishment for growth stocks who had those big uh, projected earnings in the future um, and, and, and they're, they're going to be discounted at higher rates. It's both, uh, really. Um, you know, you think about people. His, you know, people think about value stock. It's more of a industrial company, a consumer service company. You know, a lot of them have done uh, very poorly throughout the pandemic. You know, if you, right. if you, if you're a restaurant, if you, you know, if you, a, a lot of regular business are constrained by supply. Uh, people were forced to uh, stay at home and so on. So these businesses are um, just starting to open up uh, globally. Uh, one. Also, um, most industrial businesses benefit from inflation on their bottom line because they have fixed cost. For a long time, nobody wanted fixed cost. Was, oh, we want, we don't want any fixed cost because fixed cost means your old technology. New technology has no fixed cost. Well, you know, if you have no fixed cost, that means 100% of your cost is going to inflate. 
Right. But if you have fixed costs, the component that has fixed costs is un, it's actually going to be staying put. The fixed cost is not inflating with the rest of the economy, but your revenue can inflate if you can price your goods properly and, and, and compensate right. for inflation. So from an operating model perspective, a lot of value stocks actually have more operating leverage positive uh, operating leverage to the upside in an inflationary environment. Whereas a pure variable cost tech company would see their costs and 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 serve and, and and revenues go up and down with the same rate at best, and won't see the margin up, um, expansion. So so they so value stocks benefit from that way, and certainly growth stocks, a many growth stocks, uh, especially some of these online services and um, pure tech stocks that are um, that have no profits. For example, some of them are very low profits there. They are, they are going to be uh, facing very tough earnings comparisons because they had such a great time in 2020 right. and 2021. And also, what, whatever they earn, it's going to be value less as, uh, as, as the long bond rates are higher than what we've had for a few, quite a few years. And going forward, potentially, you know, stay at a moderately higher level than what we've seen in the last decade. And that, that will make it uh, difficult for, for them to inflate in valuation. And when the cost of good uh, cost of capital is zero, it's easy to own anything you want, you right. know. Uh, but now cost of capital is positive right. and moderately rising. It makes a lot of sense. Thanks for the, the clarity on that. Um, the other point that you touched on in your opening answer uh, was uh, you dwelled a little bit on the commodity and energy complex. Uh, I know that you hold uh, both. Um, uh, commodity and energy producers in the portfolio. Uh, and we've certainly seen a very nice uh, sharp increase in, in price of oil and, and some of the commodity prices. Uh, what makes you optimistic about these these uh, firms uh, going forward in the future? Um, so, you know, no doubt the world has to be um, more energy efficient and it has to be greener. We, we all want that. And, and that's very important as we look at companies and talk to their management and, and look, at, look at their plans and, and how they improve on the environment side. Um, you know, right now, from the numbers I've seen, only about 5% of what we need in energy supplies and, 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 and power come from renewable resources. So we need more, right. but we got a long way to go before renewables can be a secure and steady supply that takes the bulk of what we need, provides the bulk of what we need. So in the, in the near term and potentially for up to a decade or more, we're still going to need um, fossil fuels, unfortunately. And it's how do we get the fossil fuel cleaner? Uh, how do we use them more efficiently? And right. a lot of businesses are focused on that. Uh, these, these companies, you think about the major companies, we own the majors in the world, uh, you know, just Shell and Exxon. They are trading a low valuation, producing a ton of cash flow, and very disciplined about their spending. Um, you hear about Biden telling them to spend, spend, get a drill more, drill more. The, the truth is, um, these companies are focused on shareholder returns. Um, gone are the days where they keep spending money and drill for oil and chase that kind of growth. Now they want to make sure that um, they can um, benefit from the current price and uh, and you know more be a higher level going forward. Uh, very conscious about the environment these days. These companies, so they're very conscious about their uh, capex and and because of the constraint of their spending they've had in the past, incremental supply is pretty tight. That applies to copper too. Copper is important to connect all the renewable resources to the grid. Copper is going into um, 
every electrical appliance you can think of, and certainly electrical sure. vehicles uses significantly more copper. And yet, and yet there are there are it's tougher and tougher to develop a new copper mine. Um, environmental regulatory concerns, um, but lot, the demand for copper is secular, and it's a long it's a long runway to go. And copper stocks are trading at uh, very low multiples of their cash flow. So we believe that uh, you know, and it's a green metal. It 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 actually helps. You know, it's a very essential metal for all things green and electrical. So. Um, so we like we have some positions on those, and and we think they'll benefit. They they produce a lot of cash flow. They trade low earnings multiples, and and they're an inflation hedge. We you know believe because they're in in tight supply. Great, um, thanks for those comments. Uh, interesting comments on on the copper supply and being part of this green energy transition that we've heard a lot about. Uh, you referenced electric vehicles. Um, what else do you have as far as exposure in the portfolio to this idea of electric vehicles, um, and or is it just simply a supply chain play for you? We we believe that the um, there is going to be a long cycle for for demand for electrical vehicles. Um, governments are mandating it. Consumers are, uh, are are shifting that way, and we are seeing electric vehicles taking incremental share in the. In, in, in auto sales, um, when we when people think about electric vehicles, they think about Tesla sure. and uh, Rivian and names like that. Um, you know, we're value investors, so valuation is very important to us. And uh, and we find that you know Rivian is what made five thousand cars and trades at crazy valuation, and right. and Tesla has always been a super expensive stock. I think a P is what four five hundred or something. So so we um, we find. Uh, uh, um, what we believe to be the future leaders in electrical vehicles uh, in the market and established players. And we sift through them and we've identified a few that we believe have a very credible plan going forward that they could become the next uh, few years, uh, in, the, in the next three to five years, leaders in electric vehicle of the future. Names like Daimler Trucks, by the way, we own uh, that in, and that's the global leader in uh, trucking, and also the leader in autonomous trucking and electric trucks. Hmm. And we believe that you know the, the truck fleet is very old, and all the companies are trying to run their operations more efficiently. They also want to go green, so the demand for electric trucks are going to be significant, and Daimler Trucks is a leader in that. And the consumer side, Mercedes-Benz, in the a prestigious, uh, you know, high-end category. Uh, they are launching some very uh, good electric model, full electric models. GM as well. I think by 2035, GM would only produce electric vehicles. So they're on a path there. They own their own battery technology. Uh, they have their own autonomous driving division. So we think those stocks are very cheap. They're trading at what five, six times earnings. Nobody cares right now, but we think in the next three to five years they're going to be uh, big players. In, in electric vehicle. Um, we also own a semiconductor chip manufacturer called Ranasaz in Japan that uh, that provides semiconductors into into uh, the auto industry. They're a big player. And and electric vehicles have way more semiconductors per vehicle uh, than uh, than a combustion engine vehicle. So so we're positioned to benefit from there from from there and we'll you know they're not big positions right now but they will scale them up as we uh, approach those um, uh, turning points, as inflection points, as these uh, as they shift more and more production to electric vehicles. 
That's interesting, Richard. I, uh, one of the things that I wanted to follow up on with that comment is um, what you're monitoring for. I mean, when I think about GM, I think about Mercedes-Benz. Surely most of the revenue is coming from internal combustion engines still. Part of the reason that Tesla has that 400 to 500 uh, price to earnings multiple is this optimism that they're going to dominate the electric car market. Um, so what are you looking for out of those particular companies? And you don't have to go specifically, but just in general, when you're investing in these sort of future ideas with a yeah. legacy business, how do you evaluate that? How do you how do you think about that within the context of your portfolio? So there is um, in the and uh, we believe there will be um, an auto, you know, as an extended auto cycle because um, the shortage of supplies of vehicles that you know because of chip shortages. So the next couple right. of years, as orders get filled, the traditional legacy business of you know combustion engines, that will be um, they'll continue to do well. Their pricing is firm as they they meet the back, backlog, and we believe, despite all the talk about recession, consumer is actually quite strong. Um, and and the recessionary talk has to you know has to do with government purchases and exports rather than the actual underlying consumer spending. So um, so we value both sides of the business. We look at their traditional business and figure out how much that cash flow is worth. And they're generating cash flow right now to fund the research and development on the electrical right. vehicle side. And and we monitor closely, you know, the actual launches of these electrical vehicles. How many units can they sell? So. Uh, they're early days, and 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 so the market is largely ignoring um, the valuation of the electrical side of their business and just focus on the combustion side. But they have very good plans, and uh, you know we follow them for quite a long time. And 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 they're unique because of the positioning. Like Mercedes is a very, I mean, the uh, uh, electric vehicle for Mercedes is way more luxurious than any Tesla you can find. So that's a mm. different niche. And, and GE is unique in the sense that they actually own their autonomous vehicle driving software uh, platform, and they uh, uh, and uh, they also uh, own their own battery technology. And the market isn't paying much valuation at all, if any, to those. And I think those could be really scaled up, and they might be outsourcing, selling those to third parties, actually. So um, that's what we watch for. Wonderful. Um, I opened the the conversation talking about the vaccines and, and the idea that value is going to to run from uh, from the moment that vaccines were widely available. Um, and there, part of that optimism was this idea that COVID was, if not behind us, then well in hand. And as we sit here now, um, you know, with the notable exception of China, it feels like most of the world is is uh, really opening up and, and going sort of post COVID. There's been this theme of reopening. Uh, that we've heard from some value managers or I've read in, in the press. Um, do you have anything that fulfills that sort of nation? And what's your idea or what's your thought on the reopening trade in general? Is it extended right now or are there still opportunities there? Yeah, we believe there's still opportunities in the opening trade. Uh, we believe it's, it's really early days. Think about it. It's really Q3 last year, we're still getting hurt by Omicron. You know, it was right. just started uh, a few quarters ago. And you are, and and a lot of people are not in their offices yet, right? So, and, and sure. the travel is still, you know, just starting to emerge. Um, so I think there are tra um, emerging, there 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 opening trade opportunities still out there. Opening uh, the opening theme is definitely a theme that we we have in the portfolio. It's been there for quite some time since before the vaccines were available. You know, some of the ideas we always let's say Constellation Brands, which is the importer of Modelo and uh, Corona in the U.S., the only large beer company gaining market share, 
And they will benefit mm. as people drink, you know, at restaurants and bars more and eat out and, and have entertainment. Um, you know, we own uh, Zimmer, which is an orthopedic uh, uh, manufacturing company uh, products. And, and you don't think about that as an opening, but really hospitals have been overwhelmed by, with COVID cases. And as that goes down, they will free up staff and room to do uh, normal orthopedic surgery. So there'll be catch up demand for that kind of uh, uh, operation. Uh, we own Visa, you know, that's an opening trade to us. I mean, Visa has been hurt by lack of travel. Uh, Visa makes a bigger margin when people do cross-border shopping with their card. And Indeed. Visa has an inf inflation hedge as well. And people dine out more, they use more Visa cards. And Visa is more exposed to the middle upper class cu customer, which means that they're uh, less uh, prone to be squeezed in terms of fuel price and so on. And Visa is an inflation hedge because <laughs> the more restaurants and, and shops charge you, the more... <laughs> actual amount that will go through the visa uh, transaction wise. Right, so so it's a so so that's an opening stock too. And we also own some clothing stores. You know, people go back to work. Like Skechers is a footwear company that we really like. Lots of lots of long term growth, lower price than Nike and Adidas and gaining a lot of market share. And people go back to work and people go back to school, they're gonna have to find replace their wardrobe. So that's a theme that we like and we that that gets, I think that stays with us for a couple of years. Yeah, I know my wardrobe is a couple sizes too small after COVID, Richard. Um, but last question for you. Uh, we've had a, a, a quite a broad conversation talking about different companies. Um, and I, what I'm struck by as I think about it and I, as I look into your portfolio is that there's a lot of traditional value names. Like I think of the autos, they tend to, to sort of be in value. Um, some of the energy plays tend to be sort of more traditional value uh, companies. But I also know that you have a fair number of uh, technology names. You talked about Visa. Uh, you talked about uh, some of these names that aren't traditionally, or at least what strike me of traditional value companies. How has your view on value changed this cycle and how dynamic do you think you'll be sort of going forward over the next decade? Uh, in, in our opinion, value is a style, you know, and not a sector. And I think uh, for many years, you know, a lot of value managers, I Mekundo mean, for sure too, were known to, you know, avoid tech uh, because, uh, you know, the last, certainly last five, six years, tech stocks are very expensive. But uh, we just went through a couple of quarters where tech stocks have been the worst performers in the stock market. Sure. And, you know, we look for out of favor stocks and, you know, and we already own a lot of exposure in other sectors. And so tech became an area that we, we wanted to take a look. You know, we've got tech stocks that are down 40, 50, 60%. Um, it's worth a look to see if there is something that there that, that, you know, warrants our attention and, and, and could provide uh, good long-term returns. So we did uh, add to a number of tech stocks. And on Visa, it's not really a tech stocks in the traditional sense, but Visa is one of those names. It's a data uh, network. And, uh, and we find that it's an opening theme. It was under pressure. Uh, it fell 25% uh, from its uh, earlier peak, and we started doing some work on it. So we, we believe that uh, you know, if there are opportunities, regardless of what sector, we should take a look. And, uh, and to the extent that we can find tech stocks that could be had for a bargain price, then uh, it will bring more balance to the portfolio. I mean, you know, we talked about how we've got copper and energy, and, and then uh, we also have banks too. I mean, traditionally, we've had positions in banks, not a very big position right. now, but we still own them. 
So, so it's good to have some balance to portfolio so that, you know, not every single stock is a cyclical stock. Uh, for, for those people who have followed us longer, you know, you, in, in the last few years, we talked about how the different types of value, you know, deep value, cyclical value, and quality value. And, and, and you know, we are most likely in a, more of a slowdown, even if no recession and slowing down in terms of growth. And, and we shift away from deep value and cyclical value to have more quality value. And quality value are where we find companies that have more steady growth, uh, you know, a repeatable cash flow and non-cyclical. So some of these tech stocks fit there. Uh, you know, our sec tech, tech stocks as a group in the portfolio trade at a P of like 13. And the market's tech stocks trade, trade at a P of 24. So, so we've got cheap tech stocks that we own. What we have in the condo right now is a whole portfolio trades at a significant discount to the market, but it grows, its earnings growth for the portfolio is higher than the market. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very compelling um, time actually to look at condo funds. Richard, we'll call it there. Uh, thank you so much for spending time walking through uh, the value trade in general in your portfolio. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 